This morning's Easter. This is an awesome time. My eldest daughter is four, and she's getting a sense of all this stuff, and she's really excited about Easter. And uh, it, it's just, it's, it's a cool time. And we're going to be going over 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But before we do that, let's pray. God, thank you, not just for dying, but for raising, for resurrecting. Because without that, uh, we do not have a relationship with God. We pray, Lord, that you would open up this text to us this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And that this would be an honoring, glorifying, and worshipful time. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you guys find duct tape amazing? I find it amazing. My, my daughter has these uh, rain boots. She had this little sliver, and she's like, Oh, Dad, my rain boots. I was like, don't worry, hon, duct tape. Like, it's, it, we're, we're going to take care of that. And it holds together everything. I've seen it hold together just like simple paper like that, but I've seen it hold together cars. Like when I've seen it wrap bumpers to the car. And, but you know something? Is that duct tape has to be reapplied. Like it doesn't last forever. It has to be reapplied. And case in point, we have this portable air conditioning unit at our place, and it has this exhaust duct that it goes out the window. And I have to, you know, duct tape it to the window frame and everything. But every year I have to reapply it. Like it, it doesn't just stay there because over that course of time it, it loses its stickiness and, and just the elements of the environment, stuff like that. It just causes it to peel off. So, so I don't want the, you know, I don't want any holes there. So hot air comes in, cold air goes out, that sort of stuff. So I have to, I have to reinforce it. I have to reapply it in order for that to be effective, right? And so it's, it's kind of with the gospel. Um, and it's kind of with our text today in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. See, oftentimes the gospel has to be reapplied. It has to be reinforced. And in our text today, Paul wants to make sure that the gospel is reapplied, that the gospel is reinforced. And the reason why he wrote this to the people of Corinth was, was that the people, they, they didn't believe that there was a resurrection of the dead. So he, he had to write this to address them because in their Greek culture, in their, in their Greek background, it allowed them to believe that you know, the immaterial part of, of the person, that, that survived death. And they were cool with that. It wasn't difficult for them to accept the immortality of the soul. What was difficult for them to accept was the resurrection of the body. That just wasn't something that they could easily accept. And generally speaking, the Greeks back then, they, they were kind of anti-resurrection. The immortality of the soul, hey man, that's, that's cool. That's cool. I, I'm down with that. But, but the resurrection of the body after death, no, we don't play that. So, so after the death of the body, they believe that, yeah, there, there was this body, but the body's gone. It's extinct. It rots. It just goes away. There's no more body. It's done. So Paul corrected this outlook on the gospel through their cultural lens and gave them this, these gospel lenses. And Paul, as well as other places in the Bible, would argue that, that when God redeems His people, He doesn't do it halfway. He redeems everything. He redeems it all, including the body. And it doesn't mean that death didn't happen. Death is very real. But when the believer dies, he or she is with Jesus. And then when Jesus comes again, He raises His people to life. And He gives them resurrection bodily existence. And dying and going to heaven isn't everything that there is for the believer. So we see that this full redemption comes with the resurrection of the body. And Paul's concern here is, is, within our text was, was putting the resurrection back in the Gospel. 
And we need to be sure that we have this resurrection in our gospel. That the resurrection, it is doctrine. And it has to be in the gospel. And let's start in our text, verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelfth. And so this seems really basic, right? This seems so basic, so elementary to the Christian faith. And you might be asking, why are you talking about this again? Because it's important. It's important. And this is a reminder that Paul wants to reiterate to us again. And Paul wants to go over the structure and the form of the gospel. So so first of all, you see that Paul uses the term of first importance in verse 3. That these things are a priority. And you notice that there are these four elements of the gospel in the verses that we just read. The first one, verse 3, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. The second, verse 4, that He was buried. The third, verse 4, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And then fourth, that He appeared to Cephas, that was Peter, then to the twelfth. And so there you have the summary of the gospel. What does this tell us about the gospel? Well, this tells us that the gospel consists of content. That the gospel isn't just our impressions. It isn't just our warm fuzzies and and our feelings or our state of mind. Rather, it surrounds actual events that occurred and that can be explained. And it's not about opinions, but it's grounded on authority. And twice the the text mentions in accordance with the Scriptures. Now, in accordance with the Scriptures, it might not hold water with everyone, but to the people that had any regard for the Old Testament Scriptures, it held a lot of weight. And it showed them that it wasn't something that Paul just made up, and he he begins to lay out this argument, and he's starting in verse 3, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. And so to the Jew, this would be hard to swallow here. The Messiah died? What? But yes, and Paul will argue this, that the Messiah was a suffering Messiah. So Paul would take them through the Psalms. Paul would take them through Isaiah. Paul would take them through Zechariah. And, and he would show how the Messiah was a suffering servant. To show them that the Christ, the Messiah, He came as one who suffered according to the Scriptures. Then we come to the second according to the Scriptures. That He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And in Psalms chapter 16, verse 10, David wrote, For you will not abandon my soul in Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. What is that psalm saying? It's saying that this pertains to more people than just David. You see, the first part, For you will not abandon my soul. Yeah, that may pertain to David. My soul, particularly David. But the second part, Or let your body, or let your Holy One see corruption. It can't 
be David talking about himself because David is obviously dead as future generations are sharing this psalm. So David has this tomb and Paul is sharing that he's dead. He's over there. David is talking about his descendants. Now you look at verse 3, that Christ died for our sins. And it's important to know the facts, but we also have to know the meaning behind the facts. That Christ died is a fact. He died. It's a historical event. But why? Why did He die? Why is it any different from any other person that died from an execution? Why is it so important about this particular death? Because there were many that were executed by the Romans. Because Christ died for our sins. That's your why. He died for our sins. He made atonement for our guilt. He made atonement for our sins before a holy God. Now let's look at the resurrection as history. Starting in verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins accordance with the Scriptures. And He was buried that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, He appeared also to me. The Gospel is not opposed to evidence. And you notice that Paul wrote that Christ died and he was buried. Paul didn't write, I think he died. Uh, I, I think he was buried. He wrote, he died. And he was buried. Now why does that matter? Because only dead people die. Right? And, and dead people get buried. And Paul is saying, Jesus really died. He didn't fake it. It's not a made-up story. He really got buried. And it's important because he also is saying that he resurrected. So he has to die before that happens. And he was put in a tomb. And he was, the tomb was sealed. And he was dead. And, or we say in these parts, he dead. Right? And there, there is evidence for his death. And to continue on the storyline, Paul wrote in verse 5 that Jesus appeared to Cephas, to the twelve. Not that he was raised and no one saw him, that he was just dead and oh, that was it. But he raised, I know it. You see him? No, but I know it. It's not like that. It's not that no one saw him, that there is evidence by pointing out who he appeared to. Paul is giving us evidence. And this belief wasn't by blind faith or just presented to the gullible and they'll accept it. Or just just plain wanting to believe. This belief was based off of what really happened. What happened back then? That the resurrection is, is part of history. Because if you don't believe, if there are people that saw it, there are actually eyewitnesses there. And Paul is writing that to them, to the Corinthian church. They're still alive. You can go talk to them. There are hundreds of them. Right? And four times we have this word appear in verses 5 through 8. And there are six different groups Jesus appeared to. And Paul is giving this evidence that there is a resurrection of Jesus. The people are still alive. You can go talk to them. And you look at verse 6 500 brothers at one time. Now, why was that mentioned? It lends credibility. 
Right? It's, it's not just one person's claim. It's not just a couple people's claims. It's 500 people. Right? It's not just one person saying it's so. It's several hundred people substantiating a claim that they have no reason to substantiate because they were down. They took away their Savior. Who would stand up for something that wasn't real? That if they really took Him out and they were putting all their hope in Him, why would they substantiate a claim that He's back if He's really not? Wouldn't they just scatter? Because the disciples sure did. Until He appeared to them again. And maybe a few people would hallucinate, but, but over 500? That's a lot of Kool-Aid. And, and Paul is essentially telling the Corinthians, check it out yourself. Here are the people. Me included. And most of these people are still alive. They can give you an account. Some are dead, but some are alive. And then you look at verse 7 and 8. Jesus appeared to those who were hostile to Him and wouldn't believe it unless He really did rise from the dead. So... So verse 7 is James. Verse 8 is Paul. These are people that are just really hostile to Jesus. That didn't believe in Him. That wouldn't want to believe that He rose from the dead. These are people that would really like to see Christianity just go away. Right? And, and James and Paul rejected Jesus early on. But they had these turnarounds. And these turnarounds are evidence that the resurrection is true. Right? Let's look at this. See, this evidence, it demands a decision. And this isn't one of the decisions that just doesn't matter. This demands a decision. It's not, it's not one of those evidences that you can just answer, oh, whatever, whatever. It's, it's, whatever's good for you, you know, whatever... Uh, it's good for those people. That's good for those people. But, but you know, for me, it's something else. You know, everything's the same. It all leads to the same place. If Jesus helps you in your life, then that's awesome. And if Jesus helps someone else, but someone else, yeah, there are other people that can help other people. And, and so truth is truth for you. And, and that response, it, it may sound good. And it may sound um, more accepting and even more loving. But that's just not how we function. That's not how we live our life. Right? That, that's, that's not how we go about our daily lives. We don't say, you know what? It, it really doesn't matter if you haven't bathed in two weeks. Um, it doesn't matter if you haven't changed your clothes. It doesn't matter if you don't use deodorant. As long as you believe you don't stink, you don't stink. But you stank. It's, right, it doesn't matter if you haven't eaten in five days. You just... Believe that your stomach is full. We don't work that way. You haven't eaten. You're hungry. You'll be dead in a little bit. Right? It doesn't matter if your battery is dead. You know, your car will start. No, it won't. Right? It doesn't matter if your children are running all over the place as long as you believe they're not there. I tell that to people at restaurants all the time. Right? And we just don't function that way. Right? And we don't live this way. So saying, as long as you believe it's true for you. No! That doesn't work. It's not how we function. Right? Now let's look at the gospel as a biography. Starting in verse 7. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. 
For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. See, the gospel isn't just history. The gospel isn't just doctrine. The gospel is our present-day biography. See, the resurrection is not simply doctrine. It lives in us. Right? It's not just something we know. It's, it's a truth that transforms us. Because if the doctrine is true, Jesus has risen. And if Jesus has risen, He's really someone that we really have to deal with. And you look at verse 7 again, at His brother James. And this isn't referring to James, the brother of John, who, who had the, the fishing boat and stuff like that, and a rich dad and all that kind of stuff. This is referring to James, the half-brother of Jesus, who wrote the epistle James. John chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. So his brother said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. His brothers didn't believe in him. This is James. This is the James that. This is talking about. Now, you, now look at Acts chapter 1, verse 14. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. What happened? Something happened to make his brothers believers. And you look at James chapter 1, verse 1. This is the James that he wrote this epistle. James, a servant of God, and of Lord Jesus Christ. What happened? Something happened to James. Something happened to someone who didn't believe that Jesus was Lord. And, and how can anyone explain that transformation if it was anything less than truth? How can James move from not believing to 20 years later writing an epistle about his half-brother proclaiming that he's the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ? If it weren't true, don't you think a, a younger brother would be like, yeah, he's nothing, he just died. Why would you stick up for a lie like that? If you were a brother that was compared to this guy your whole life and all this stuff and, and you kind of had this animosity towards him because you didn't believe him when you were younger... Unless it were true. Verse 7, He appeared to James. Now what was James' problem with Jesus? Why is this pointed out right here? Why James? I think it's because James was too familiar with Jesus. See, he grew up with Jesus his whole life, right? And it bred this familiarity. It bred this comfort and to an unhealthy degree. That he lost reverence for Jesus as a God and Lord. So it was probably really difficult to see his older brother as God, to see his older brother as his Savior. Right? Because he, he probably worked with Jesus in, in the carpenter shop in Sephora, right? Along with their dad, and he played with him, and he ate with him, and he saw Jesus sweat 
as he's working hard there in, in this Middle Eastern heat, and he saw Jesus bleed when, when he got nicked by the stones or the tools when he was working on this trade. And after all these many years of Jesus and being familiar with him and, and just having this, this commonality, he got immune to him. He got immune to Jesus. And much like people who are part of a church who've been going to church for a long time, they just come and keep coming back. They keep coming back to church. Or students who go to Christian schools, they just go to school and they hear about this thing all the time. Jesus, 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 Jesus. See, I have this friend. And he enrolled his two children in Christian school after returning from the mission field. And he told me it was the worst thing he's ever done for their spiritual life. You wouldn't think that, would you? Go to Christian school, you're expecting, well, they're going to be surrounded by that stuff. The worst thing ever for their spiritual life. But sometimes we get so close to the gospel that we become immune to it. We get so familiar with it, so common that we don't really think more of it. We just kind of get immune to it. And we tend to forget the reverence that we should have towards it because, because it's become so common. It's become so familiar. And maybe that was James. Or maybe it was jealousy. James was probably always being defined behind his older brother Jesus. Right? He probably couldn't go to the church cafe without someone asking him, hey, what did Jesus drink? He's just always compared to Jesus by family and friends and stuff like that. Why? Your brother gets straight A's. What's wrong with you? Or whatever. I don't know. Maybe straight A's isn't perfect. Your brother failed all his classes. Anyway. But maybe he was just fed up with being Jesus' brother. I I hate being compared to that guy. He always makes the nicest um, trough or whatever. I don't know. And it was probably tough growing up as Jesus' brother. I mean, the guy's perfect. Man, what what, what can you do? It's it's like my sister growing up with me as her older brother. but, but, But maybe that caused him to be cynical. Right? So, so if you would think that Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead, he would probably jump all over that. Yeah, he didn't. This is my opportunity to shine, right? So Jesus appeared to James. And maybe that's when James changed. We're not sure if it was that moment or before. But in verse 7, it's pointing out that he appeared to James. And at some point he moved from this, this cynicism to this optimism of the gospel and we're not told when we're not told how we're not we're not told exactly what happened but we do know that jesus appeared to james and so maybe jesus shows up to james and he puts his arms around him and and maybe he held his hands so so that james could feel that that is my brother that those are the same calloused hands when when we worked in the the carpentry shop and and maybe at that time he saw that large nail hole and maybe he said something to James and but maybe he didn't say anything because he didn't really have to he just appeared we don't know but how many of us find ourselves in James's position where we've been around Jesus a really long time where maybe even all of our life or we've grown up in the church or or we we've just become so familiar that it's bred this commonality with Jesus that we've lost reverence for Him and we've lost reverence for the Gospel and we don't have an intimacy towards Him. Has the resurrection become more than doctrine to you? 
Has the resurrection become more than history to you? Has the resurrection become part of your biography? Do you need Jesus to appear to you again and, 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 and lay his nailed, pierced hand on you? So that was James. And then Paul brings himself into the story in verse 8. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. And in verse 8, there's this phrase, as to one untimely born, where Paul is describing himself as an abortion. It's a pretty strong term here. Paul is saying that him being called an apostle is like an abortion being called life. It's impossible, but by the grace of God. And maybe this was a phrase that Paul is pulling because enemies were using that phrase against him. It's a very cruel term. It's a very cruel, vile phrase. And, but Jesus appeared to Paul. And Paul was once someone who, who thought really highly of himself, very highly of himself. Right? But now he sees himself as an abortion, as unworthy. And in verse 10, Paul shares with us that he worked harder than any of them, and the grace of God was with him. See, the gospel was real to Paul. He worked hard to get it out there. How do you explain that someone that was so violent against Jesus and his followers has turned around so drastically like this if it weren't true? He knew it was only by the grace of God that he had the privilege to share the gospel. But Paul had this really deep scar, and we're going to read this in verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. And so this would be with Paul the rest of his life. This would be part of Paul's history, part of his biography, how he had this raging fury against Jesus and the people who followed Jesus. How he dragged people from their homes and work and he, he locked them in prison. How he voted against them in the Jewish courts and he approved of the execution of the followers of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 26, verses 9 through 11. This is Paul's story. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues. And I tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. And that's what he was doing when he was knocked down on his road to Damascus. He was going to these foreign cities. He was going really far. It wasn't just Jerusalem that he was taking them out. He was looking to take them all out. So you talk about the grace of God on Paul. And you talk about someone needing forgiveness. And you talk about transformation. Forgiveness and transformation that only Jesus can offer. And we read on. Let's move on to Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 5. 
Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. James' problem with Jesus was was probably that he was just too familiar with Jesus, that Jesus was just common to him. But Paul's problem was that he had this raging fury against Jesus. He had this consuming anger towards Jesus and his followers. And while some of us are like James, some of us may be like Paul, where we have this raging fury against Jesus, where we are so consumed in our sin because the sin is against God, a holy God, against Jesus, the, the followers of Jesus, and everything that Jesus stands for. And maybe it's not so much like you're just mad at Him and you're after His followers and stuff like that, but, but you're, you're locked up in your sin. And there are times when, when the Lord will knock you flat on the ground. And then there are choices that you have to make. Right? That Paul could have chosen to ignore his calling. He could have chosen to be like, um, that was a bad burrito. I need a, no, let's go get him. Right? And, and so I, I have to confess that it's pretty difficult to ignore the calling of God. It, it's really difficult if you're walking with him. I, I, mean, I, can't tell, I can't tell you how many times I've wanted to throw in the towel on being a pastor. A lot. A lot, but, it, but I couldn't. It's about choosing obedience in your calling and, and deciding what you're going to do because you love Him. And we can remain in our sin or we can choose to have this raging fervor to follow Him. So this raging fury against Jesus or this raging fervor to to follow Him, to be obedient to Him, or we can repent or we can just continue our raging fury in sin. Verse 11, Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. Paul was battling the belief in Corinth that there was no resurrection of the dead. Right Back in verse 4. And he argued that, that, that a follower of Jesus would believe that Christ rose on the third day. That's what a believer would believe. So if this is what followers of Jesus believe, how can anyone believe that there is no resurrection of the dead? That's contradictory. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ Himself has not risen. And if Christ hasn't risen, then our faith is in vain. So there was this belief and this embracement of the gospel that Christ was raised on the third day, but then there were some saying that there wasn't a resurrection of the dead. And so Paul saying, like, contradiction. Can't be. Right? Then Paul wrote in verse 14, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And when looking at that phrase, in vain, it has this idea attached to it as to being thoughtless or to being superficial. And we know people who believe thoughtlessly, who believe superficially, don't we? People who confess their faith, but they really don't think about what they're actually confessing. And we sometimes do this with things that are just familiar to us. We do things thoughtlessly, we do things superficially when things become really familiar to us. When things are habitual, like taking a vitamin in the morning. 
right? You, you do it every day according to your daily routine, and then after a while, it just, it's just part of your routine now. You just do it. And then there are those days that you wonder, did I take my vitamin? Because it's thoughtless. It's, it's routine. It's, super, it's a superficial habit. And we don't consciously think about it anymore. And sometimes the gospel can be like this to us. That our prayer life can become like this to us. That we just pray before meals because it's routine. That we, oh, let's do our prayer. Okay, let's eat. Our reading of the Bible can be like this. Right? That we just do our habitual devotions, but, but they're not doing anything for us. They're not transforming us. They're not, they're not penetrating us. And, and it's just like reading the morning paper. And our worship can be like this, where we just come on Sunday and we just do our weekly routine. And too often we don't really think about our spirituality and it becomes superficial and it becomes thoughtless. But there's nothing superficial or thoughtless about the resurrection. You can't just accept it like that. Jesus tried to make this point with Martha and Bethany when Lazarus died in John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? It can't be thoughtless. It can't be superficial. Jesus has a direct question for us. Do you believe this? You have to substantiate. You can't be superficial or thoughtless about that. Do you believe that Christ was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures? What does that mean for you? Because if that's the case, if Jesus was raised on the third day and He did raise, uh, died for our sins and He rose, it, it determines how we look at our guilt. And if you believe that Jesus did that for you, does that give you joy that Jesus conquered everything that stood and stands before you and God? And do you have confidence that no matter where your circumstances are, He'll pull you through? And the resurrection is doctrine and and is to be in our gospel. But we can't just superficially accept it like that or thoughtlessly accept it like that. See, see, there's no middle ground here. There's no like whatever's here or what's good for you or whatever. There's there's none of that here. It's either life with Christ or life without Him. Some people don't like hearing that. But that's how you live your life. And Christianity isn't just nice ideas, but it's, it's a doctrine from God's Word according to the Scriptures. Christianity is not just made up stuff. It's based off of historical events. Because if there are no historical events, we don't have this faith. And if we don't have this faith, we don't have hope. And so we're, we were given these testimonies. We were given these testimonies from James, from Paul himself, from Peter, from 500. Testimonies that we can look back on. Evidences we can look back on. See, Paul was a real person. James was a real person. Peter was a real person. The people who wrote the Gospels were real people. And as Christians, we don't have to accept blindly. We actually have data. We have proof. And sure, it's great that we have doctrine. And sure, it's great that we have history. But the important thing is whether it's part of our personal biography. 
How has the resurrection transformed you? How has the gospel transformed you? It's fine that it's true, but if it's not in here, what good is it? Jesus died for you. He also resurrected for you. It wouldn't do any good if he died and he didn't resurrect. Right? The scriptures are reliable. And what happened is historical. But you have to make a choice. You have to make a choice to accept the gospel being part of your biography. And so I want to invite any of you that don't have Jesus as your Lord and Savior to accept him as your Lord and Savior this morning. And so I'd like you to pray with me. Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins in accordance with the scriptures. I believe that you were buried, that you rose on the third day. Jesus, I ask that you would appear to me in my life to be in my story. That the faith that I have, even though it may be really small right now, that I would have the resurrection and the gospel be more than doctrine to me, that it would be more than history to me, but that it would transform my life. In Jesus' name, amen.